America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. As the calendrical crow flies, it is Thursday, if you're hearing this, and it is time for one of our favorite things we do on the show. In between our episodes, we have a listener mail segment where we crowdsource with you. You and your fellow conspiracy realists are the stars of our weekly listener mail segment. We're going to have some shout outs around the world. We got a lot of feedback on our recent Vibes episode. We're going to explore that. Um, One of our pals in Atlanta might be haunted. And uh, there are some serious worries about signing in online, following up, as we were talking about earlier, following up on our uh, recent conversations regarding privacy. Um, Before we get to that, I just want to do a quick shout out at the top. You guys, shout out to our longtime listener, Yenna. This is just a really short one. We won't read it in full, uh, but our pal, Yenna, who is a longtime listener in Maine, uh, and actually reached out to us for using the phrase downsella. Thanks to our pal Andrew Howard, a fellow Mainer. Uh, <laughs> Yenna wrote to us and said, since we aired a story about lobster being potentially linked to a couple of deleterious health conditions in New Brunswick, they haven't looked at lobster the same. And they say, I live in Portland, Maine. Lobster is like one of the best things about living in Portland, Maine. That's true and ask if we could follow up on this with an update on the show. We will have this on the way. Uh, We've got our eyes and our tentacles on it. Uh, But most importantly, Yenna, we want to say with great affection, 
We hope you enjoyed the episode where we ruin canned seafood. If you haven't checked that one out, uh, then give it a listen and tell us what you think. We also got an interesting email. I think you guys saw it as well from Little Girl in a Little Island. It's <laughs> a great name. Yeah, yeah. And this um, this person writes to us with some strange news from Palau, which I don't believe is making a lot of a lot of waves here in the U.S. Essentially, little girl in a little island is a U.S. citizen who was born and raised in the southern west coast of the U.S. and liked it uh, for some time, described their childhood as the epitome of an American dream. And then when her extended family was growing older, uh, her family relocated back to the island. And there's a lot going on in this part of the world that the U.S. has huge influence on that the U.S. public is not generally aware of. You know, we've talked about nuclear experiments back in the day in the Marshall Islands. Uh, we've talked a little bit in the past about other nefarious activities Uncle Sam has engaged with in you know places like Diego Garcia and so on. But this part stood out to me. I'd love to hear everybody's thoughts. Little girl from a little island says, my country is a, quote, freely associated state with the U.S. So pretty much we accept U.S. aid, chump change, think like 20 mil a year, in exchange for the chance to be colonized. Uncle Sam has finally gone to cash his chips, and there are soldiers everywhere. Our once quiet skies are now filled with noisy military jets. Our already crowded streets are being worn by military vehicles that are uh, these streets are not built for heavy equipment. There are even a couple of Patriot missile launching systems and missiles themselves on the island. I'm miserable. It's like everything I was running from followed me home. I'm devastated. U.S. military, get the f out of my country. Uh, being very polite, little girl on a little island said GTFO, but We'll we'll do away with the niceties when we're talking about imperialism. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Off the top of the dome, are there some compelling reasons that the U.S. would be increasing the militarization uh, of U.S. forces on these sovereign countries? Yeah. Strategic, perhaps? I mean... We're all getting ready for World War III. Every country in the world is getting ready for it. We just Cluster bombs to Ukraine... That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, there are more. There are more toys on the way. Yeah, and we're doing an episode on the uh, chip war as well <laughs> in the future. It just it it seems like the people of of this country. I think it's okay to say it's Palau. Uh, the people here are not really being given an opportunity to say whether or not they want a foreign military power occupying slash colonizing their land. Isn't that kind of the MO though of, you know, a, a force <laughs> of, a, of a force like, you know, the United States military and the Navy and uh, so many other powers like that. You kind of show up once you establish a base of any kind there. We're just kind of here around. now. 
Yeah. I mean, I always forget how many countries there are U.S. military presence in. And it's not like on paper we're, quote unquote, occupying them. But through, you know, deals that have taken place uh, in the past, those presences just remain, you know, like like Germany. I mean, there's a huge military presence there. And that's where I grew up. I literally grew up in Germany because my father was the choir director at a church on a, a U.S. military base. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it seems reminiscent, perhaps, of the island hopping strategies that occurred in World War II uh, in the Pacific theater between um, Japanese forces and the U.S. forces. It also, these are little chess moves, right? It's kind of like how, how France passed that sketchy surveillance law completely uh, cognizant that they are going to use that against domestic dissent, uh, even if it's just peaceful protesting. Uh, this it seems like a move, little girl on a little island, um, for the U.S. to better position itself for a possible hot war or maritime conflict with China, depending on how things go in Taiwan. That's the guess, right? Does that seem like the most obvious guess, just given the, the expense involved in getting all that stuff out there? Mm-hmm. And then once it's there, you just kind of set up shop. You mentioned, uh, Ben, in your travels abroad as well, well, you, but also other friends I, I have that have been in the Navy, you know, spend tons of time in, in Korea and in Japan. And I mean, it really is just like we kind of police the world in a weird way. I mean, not police. It's, it's all in ways that benefit us or to kind of keep us, you know, unilaterally present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the force projection. For a long time post-World War II, the United States through the Navy and through various other institutions ensured the safety of international shipping lanes, right? Ensured the predictability and sustainability, financially at least, of global trade. And increasingly, this is really a hot topic in um, the world of foreign affairs, increasingly the current U.S. administration is seen as pulling away from that role, uh, kind of deglobalizing its power or its existence as an ubiquitous superpower. What does that mean for the world? No one's really sure at this point. Uh, and what does it mean if a global conflict breaks out? No one's sure either. And that's why there are, That's I would posit, that's why we see various world powers that want to be the next hegemon uh, putting their anchor holds on uh, their anchor, their anchor heads of their footholds in places far away from home so that they don't have to cross the Pacific to touch you if something goes wrong. And that's, that's a scary thing to think about it. Uh, I, I think collectively it gives all of us a bad vibe. Huh? Because it's like a segue. It's like galaxy. Yeah, vibes into the film. We're going to do some uh, film corner with with Ben about the excellent piece of cinema that is Vibes the movie. It should be called Vibes the movie, just just to separate it from Vibes the the concept. (laughs) Sure. What happened? Why didn't they make Vibes vibes two? I I feel like didn't it sort of have the potential for for a sequel? Honestly, I, I'm sorry to, to, to go vibes uh, fanboy for a second, but that movie is like as good as Ghostbusters. I'm just I will, oh, I will die. Nice, I will die man. on that hill. I that's really nice. like the movie. That's nice to say. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely something. It's definitely we something we enjoy on the show, and we did. I think in that episode we did a pretty good job 
of uh, exploring the concept of vibes and not going too deep into that amazing film. Uh, and we knew we would get a lot of responses. So we just wanted to share uh, a couple of these responses that we got. Um, one that was really interesting was from Dan. And Dan says uh, he was listening to the episode about vibes and had um, a theory or some speculation about that study we cited regarding rating professors based on 10 seconds of silent video. Remember that one? Mm -hmm. It was like nuts. Yeah. Cause if you, what is it? If they had to write down how they would judge the professor beforehand, their conclusions were less likely to match the conclusions of the students in the class for the entire time. It's very weird and counterintuitive. And Dan brings up something that I had not heard of a phrase I had not heard of. Uh, and says, could the correlation between their rating and the rating of the students who had taken the class not also be explained by both groups making the same jump-to-conclusion decisions because of hereditary heuristics or whatever? And then the semester-long kids not changing their mind appreciably? You know, the old adage about first impressions. Just a thought. Keep it up, guys. Thanks, Dan. Hereditary heuristics. It's very interesting. That's a great word. There's a, a Brian Eno song where he talks about the heuristics of the mystics. And I just think that's one of the most clever uh, rhyme schemes I've ever heard. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of the fiction worlds I write, uh, heuristics are treated as a superpower. But it, essentially, heuristics is it's a fancy word for mental shortcuts that all human brains use to solve problems in a quick way that is not perfect, but good enough to work. You know what I mean? Someone throws something at you, then you instantly, your brain makes a calculation. Can I get, this is just a bottle of Febreze I have here. I'm sure it's <laughs> terrible for the world, but uh, someone throws a bottle of Febreze at you, your brain, without much conscious thought, will quickly make the calculation. One, do I catch this? Do I flee from it? Right? And then how do I catch it? And that's, that's an example of like heuristics, right? Mm. Uh, figuring out how to untie a knot, you know, um, all, all these little kind of programmed psychological and physiological combo moves that we have. And without, I couldn't find much on the term hereditary heuristics, but I think maybe what we're describing, maybe what Dan's describing here is, um, is similar to what, what we clocked with uh, preconceptions and prejudice, right? Like, uh, what was that? Is that part of the conversation where we're saying, well, does the professor have glasses? Because no matter how intelligent people are, you do tend to unconsciously attribute more intelligence to people who wear spectacles. It's so weird. It's so true. And yep. so maybe, maybe there are those little subtle signals. I don't know. It gets ugly when you talk about like um, perceived gender or race as well because of all those preconceptions. Very but true. Do you guys think that you can explain it? Well, I just think you could use that Febreze to smell less fearful and or disgusting. I mean, if we were doing the test again. Mm, <laughs> I smell it. Might just, it might I just, just enhance your, the smell of fear. It just <laughs> yeah. sort of like washes it with a patina of like fake flowers. You know, the, everyone, we all know, we all know what that smell really is. It's such a weird study to me. It is a weird study. And I think people, you know, including um, 
DeGroote, like the people we were name checking who are working on this, I think they're still figuring out the implications of these sorts of things. And uh, yeah, our answer, though, it does seem to be based on a lot of responses we had as well. Our answer does seem to be the concept of unconscious smell, um, perhaps even even as important as body language uh, and a little bit more secretive, a little bit more conspiratorial because it's very rare. It's pretty rare unless someone smells very bad for you to meet someone and say, I don't like him because he smells. But then again, in English, if we don't like something, we say it stinks. I don't know. Stuff to think about. We can, um, we'll keep this one pretty short. Uh, there's one more vibe shout out. And again, um, there's so, we want to thank everybody who wrote to us or called or hit us up on social media about vibes. Um, there was one thing we, we should mention. It was not specifically related to our episode, but it was a great point from our friend, uh, Sean or Sheen. Um, S-E-I-N, apologies if we're mispronouncing your name there. This conspiracy realist says, I just listened to the R Vibes Real episode, and within minutes I was saying to myself, I hope they talk about Rastafarian culture and belief about vibes. So during their time, in their adventures, uh, this person was traveling around Kingston, Jamaica, with some musicians and learning about Rastafarian culture, and says, quote, the overall message of vibes in this culture is vibes are like a communal fire that we all feed with care and are rewarded with light and heat. Every day we were told to regularly align with the intuition we feel and how we connect to everything and everyone around us. Be aware of how great you are to the people you pass, uh, the message and tone you speak, and the willingness to connect. Those vibes, actual acts and behaviors of kindness and selflessness will reverberate and make you one person feel good in an instance you will give good vibes. And likewise, that experience will be passed into you. Uh, in my experience there, vibes were very real and very much about oneness. And then shared some great stuff about, we haven't done a ton of stuff about Rastafarian culture, but the culture is fascinating. In many cultures, selflessness is not um, in, in like reward driven cultures, let's say very anarcho-capitalistic cultures, then uh, selflessness is not seen as an action that induces reward, but selflessness should not be enacted for a reward in the first place. To take it a step further, it's often seen in some anarcho-capitalist cultures as a sign of weakness. Like, how could you possibly think of anyone other than yourself? Or, like, how could you possibly look at portraying yourself as helping others as anything but a grift, as anything mm. but, like, a means to an end of, like, getting what you ultimately want, like, very self-serving. So, I mean, you know, it's it's it's, it's important, I think, to, to bring ourselves back to this idea. I mean, it's just referred to things, you know, like karma or whatever, which I don't know if I am all in on the, the spiritual aspect of that. I think it's more of a functional thing. Like, I think to me, karma can be measured by like the good works you do come back to you because your reputation precedes you and people know about the things that you've done and they know you to be a person with quote unquote good vibes and therefore they'll think of you when, when an opportunity arises. You know, I don't think it's some mystical force. I think it's literally just being a good person. <laughs> and treating yeah, people with respect, you know? The idea of mystical force, too, it's it's kind of a cultural framework. I mean, any study of evolution shows that um, the natural state of the human being and of, of the primates in general 
is to attempt to collaborate and attempt to help when possible, you know, and uh, that's that's a good positive note for us to end on. We would love to hear continuing thoughts about vibes. We would love to hear your thoughts, of course, about expanding U.S. imperialism. You can uh, reach us. We read every email we get where we're conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. You can also drop us a line at our number, one eight three three stdwytk We're going to pause for a word from our sponsor. We'll be back with more messages from you. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we 
we've returned a couple quick shout outs here. There's an anonymous so-and-so that asked about our Cambridge Analytica classic episode, wanted to know when it was originally published, and that was from late April 2018, quite a while ago when that first came out. So uh, people have been remarking that in that episode, we were really all three of us the stance of, it sure seems like Facebook is listening, but we have no way to prove that it's listening. I think that's Drops to Jupiter. I, I think that's still kind of the same thing that we're in. I mean, we're all kind of in that same boat, right? Nobody at Meta slash Facebook is saying your phone is listening to you, and then that is directly, you know, transferring into the ads that you get served. But question comes up a lot. <laughs> the observation comes up a lot. Exactly. Uh, but in response to that classic episode, we also had someone named Ryan who wrote to us, who told us about an instance when he was loudly and we imagine humorously singing Drops of Jupiter in a Publix, only to find himself being served Facebook ads for a particular wine titled Drops of Jupiter, which sure is a dang coincidence. <laughs> I think it's from one of the guys from the band, uh, the seminal early 2000s uh, alt rock country band train. There you go. He's getting train ads for singing their song in Publix, or maybe it was just a coincidence. Was it in Publix or just in public? It was in Publix. Okay. In public, in public. Got it. We also received a message from someone named Chris in Atlanta who is going to tell us a story. It's almost the full three minutes, so prepare yourselves. Listen closely. Here is Chris's message. Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, this is Chris from Atlanta here. Long-time listener to the show. Love it. Um, I especially love hearing about ghost stories and anything paranormal. Um, I had an experience years ago that um, still kind of creeps me out. Um, I'm wondering if I'm haunted. Um, in college, I... I dated a young woman, um, and uh, she had some odd mannerisms. I noticed early on she would occasionally pause and stare off uh, into the distance with a blank stare. And I, I kept getting the feeling that maybe she was seeing things uh, there that I could not see. Um, I eventually asked her about this, and she revealed to me that she practiced Wicca and uh she, in fact, considered herself a medium um, and that she could sense spirits and could in some way converse with them telepathically. Basically, she told me that um, there was a little three-year-old girl, a spirit, that was somehow attached to me um, and had been following me for several years since I was a young child. I, of course, um, I thought this very odd and didn't believe it, and we eventually broke up. Um, years later, I'm at a family get-together, and my little sister is telling an old story of when we were kids. I was probably 10 or 11. We were exploring the woods out beside, behind uh, a farmhouse that we lived in, in Dillon, Virginia. Um, we unwittingly stumbled upon a very, very old uh, family uh, grave site. Um, these were graves that dated back to pre-Civil War times. It was very old, very creepy. And um, in the process of exploring this site, uh, my sister and I tripped, slid down uh, a bit of a hill, and accidentally knocked over a complete headstone. 
It was the headstone of a three-year-old girl who died in the early 1900s. And as my sister is recounting the story, I got the biggest chill up my spine. The hair stood up on the back of my neck. Oh my God, we desecrated a grave and this spirit has been haunting me, following me around my whole life. Um, I don't know, what do you guys think? Um, have you ever done a show about uh, Wiccan ideology? Um, is it possible to actually be a medium and uh, see spirits? Um, I hope I'm not haunted, but thanks guys, love the show. Oh yeah, sorry, it cut off there, it was right at the three minute mark. Chris did call back again just to make sure everything went well, and it did, and we just played it on the air, Chris. So thank you Thanks, so much Chris, for, for calling in and telling us that story, man. My goodness. Questions? Do you uh, think do you yeah. think knocking over the headstone of a gravesite, do you think that is desecration? If you did it by accident, I mean, intent is everything, right? The most boring, most accurate answer would probably be it depends on the culture, right? Because in some cultures, graves are removed or exhumed after amount of time. You know, and there are different things one can do to move it in a respectful manner. Um, and then also, you know, if magic, if we accept the idea of magic or the supernatural is kind of a, having a weaponized psychology aspect to it, you can also perform some act of obeisance to let, like, to apologize, right? That's fiction and, and fiction, folklore, and real life anecdotes are, are full of that. But uh, I think it, it's, if we're talking about the supernatural, it's about intention, right? Did you knock over the gravestone with a malicious intent or was it an accident? Do you feel bad, et cetera? Those are starting questions. Got you. No, yeah. I, okay. My wonder is that the headstone is a completely separate thing from the actual grave, right? It is in the same vicinity of it. It's, represent, it's representative of the remains that are you know, in the earth six feet down or whatever, but it's not... The same thing as the person, you know, the the physical body and where it is in the grave. That's that was my only question. Was like, well, I mean, is is graffitiing a uh, a mausoleum, you know, desecrating a grave? You know, I mean, mm. all of these things technically are kind of part and parcel of the same thing. Depend again to your point, Ben. Depending on your perspective, like your religious belief or your belief in just the burial process, like. Yeah, I mean, if you look at his, you know, histories of um, certain cultures and their burial grounds, the way they mark the grave is sort of part of the whole deal, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, and like, and those things can uh, be imbued with some sort of power, you know, or at the very least, be uh, connected to the the the, the departed. Yeah, it's really interesting to me just taking the concept that let's say spirits or whatever lingering energy does remain after death. And then we have, we'd have to suppose that that energy stays around the physical remains, right? Rather than in a different place where perhaps a person died or where a tragedy occurred, or where their greatest memory, their strongest memory was. It would be like where they are physically in space and time. Um, so you kind of have to take that as that's what happened. Then you have to take, well, this spirit, for whatever reason, when it was disturbed by the headstone getting knocked over, chose to basically follow these kids or one of the two kids uh, throughout life to then one day be at least seen in some way by mm. uh, the significant other of this person. I don't know. That's, that's a lot for me. 
But I can totally see, Chris, why you're into paranormal and, you know, these kinds of things, because that having that happen to you or having someone tell that to you. Right. And then rediscovering this thing you did in the past. That's God. I can totally imagine why the the hairs stood up. Mm -hmm. And nobody has proved that these things don't exist. That's the flip side of the coin that people don't mention. And I don't know if there's an answer to like can someone be a medium or like is Wiccan practice? Does it work? Quote unquote. Like, like a lot of it is all about what you said, Ben, about intent and like, what does it mean to you? Um, and how, how do you use it in, in your, in practice, you know, in, in ways that like help you with your, it's the same as, as religion to me. Um, I have some people that are very close to me in my life who consider themselves to be, witches and, and, and it's a thing, you know, and it, it is all about the belief, you know, um, my cynical side sometimes does a little bit of an internal eye roll occasionally, but then I sort of have to slap myself back out of that, you know, uh, high horse to be frank, cause it's about what this person believes. It's not about what I believe. Um, I don't know if I believe in like spells or in things working to malevolently affect people or positively, but it's about intent and it's about in the same way we were talking about vibes. It's about putting acts out into the world and it's about how those acts connect with other people, whether they know it or not. I, I don't know. It's a lot to unpack. It really is. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do find it fascinating and I think it all boils down to belief and intent. Yeah. Well said. Uh, there's also, there's also Chris, uh, an episode we did not specifically on Wiccan beliefs, but on, on the concept of witchcraft, there not one but several, um, wherein we were fortunate enough to speak with uh, some friends who are practicing uh, practitioners of a bevy of those belief systems. Um, and please do check that out. Uh, also, at the risk of uh, sounding sounding cliche <laughs> in uh, here, uh, it is very true that you are you are not alone in these experiences, dude. Many, many people uh, have contacted us over the years on a regular basis, and they're saying, you know, they're they're saying very similar things. I have encountered something that I cannot explain, right? And I am looking for a way to understand it. And this is just my personal stance. I believe it is tremendously unhelpful for folks to automatically dismiss um, another person's experience that way, right? Because we're not that person and we're not, and that's something we, you know, I'm very happy that we never do this on the show and we never also, to be clear, our track record of conclusively explaining some of this stuff, it's not that great because no one could do it for thousands of years. People have tried. I also think just the impulse to immediately want to debunk something that someone is passionate yeah. about is a little it's, weird. It's kind of <laughs> It's not cool. It's like the actually guy, you know, it's just like, who cares? Like, are they hurting you? If they're hurting you and, and they're like really forcing something upon you, then okay, game on. But if they're just doing their thing and it's just a belief and it makes them happy or it makes them feel some agency, some sense of agency in this chaotic world of ours, why would your initial reaction be to try to convince them that it's bullshit that just seems really rude at the very least and megalomaniacal and uh kind of sociopathic at the most (laughs) also those actions uh can often come from uh someone's own personal trauma that they haven't fully explored so sometimes when 
people are being uh, gross to you, it's because something happened to them. It has very little to do with you. We're just asking you to check yourself. Like, think about that, you know? Like, we've all been through trauma, you know? But it's it's important to have a little bit of a semblance of self-awareness when you're interacting with other people. And if you can do that and take a look at yourself, maybe it'll cause you to not do that. And maybe you'll have more friends. Well, hey, that was Chris's story. Let us know what you think about it. Chris, uh, if you got anything else to say, let us know or anything to add to it. You can always reach us, 1-833-STDWYTKConspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. We'll be right back with more Listener Mail. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. She's a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.
And we're back with one last piece of correspondence from you. Yes, you. Uh, this one comes from uh, Nemesis. And I'm, I'm not going to read. There's some really nice, lovely, complimentary gushing about the show at the top. But I'm going to leave that out lest we sound uh, too self-aggrandizing. But I do love the, int- the uh, intro here, the salutation. Dear esteemed gentlemen, gods of podcasting and champions of conspiracy. Um, apologies if this has already been covered on a previous episode, as I've only just started working my way in time on your back catalog. In the last year, I've noticed ever-increasing attempts by Google to gain access to my data by requesting that I log on to websites using my Google credentials, rather than the website's existing username password system. Websites forums that I have used for years have suddenly logged me out, and up pops a Google prompt, hinting that it will be so much easier to uh, never have to remember multiple passwords and usernames and just use Google for everything. As far as I can remember, this first happened on eBay, but it has happened on multiple others. I'm well aware of many websites giving you the option to use existing social media credentials when creating a new account, but this is the first time that uh, I've seen one using an attempted aggressive takeover. I assume that Google must be offering the websites a fee for allowing the access, which implies the websites are complicit in the process. My thoughts are that this is a reaction to the initiative started by Apple when they stopped background app tracking slash tracing via an iOS update where you had to opt in to being tracked in the background. And since most didn't realize they were being tracked, opted out. I read that this had an immediate effect on the, quote, value of private data being, quote, stolen. This restriction and the change to the more widespread use of ad blockers and VPNs means that previously freely available data streams uh, and hence revenue uh, have been closed. The reaction to the loss of covert acquisition uh, was the more direct approach of offering you a service. So uninformed majority grant them direct access back to the data that had just been blocked. In the UK, at least, TV Google adverts had been broadcast with a young man extolling the virtue of the latest Google phone with the line, well, you already use Google for mail, maps, searching, browsing, smartphones, etc. Why not get a Google phone and complete your indoctrination? I added the last word, winky face emoji. Your thoughts. I am happy for this email to be broadcast if deemed interesting enough. Well, it has been deemed. Best regards, nemesis. Um... I don't know. This is just kind of like a a, a round table here, fellas. Like I've certainly seen Facebook doing this. Apple definitely does this. There are certain apps that are or websites that all of a sudden will let you log in using your Apple thing. And it gets comp- confusing because I'll go to one that I'm pretty sure I've already made an account on, but I've forgotten what the account is. And then I'll do the Apple version of it. Then all of a sudden I have like this weird redundant account that's linked to Apple. And then like all my stuff from the account that I already created isn't there. And it's just, God, it's a mess. Y'all, the Internet is a mess. It's become a real trash heap. What do you guys yeah. think about this? Because all of these things that were just so easily accessible to Google, they were the king of the of the of the mountain. Now they're not so much anymore. And so they're having to like find little back doors into getting this data now. Yeah, it was really popular 10, 12 years ago to sign in to like various places with your, you know, as a single sign in with one social media thing. It was usually Facebook, I think. But well, it's, uh, it's back, though, man. I'm seeing it all over the place. But yeah, mm-hmm. please. Well, it's definitely returned in force. And I, I, it does feel like a reaction to to some of the tightening, the privacy tightening that's happening all over the place. But I, you know, I don't have anything to directly point to that. 
Well, I mean, if, if when you agree to do it, there's a lot of fine print that you probably should read that many people aren't. And that fine print basically says that when you log in using that social media account, the website that you're accessing has access to that. I always assumed it was to benefit the website or the other service rather than benefiting Google. But I guess it's a two-way street. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you guys have been getting these messages. If I access Gmail on any browser or in any other way outside of an official Google app or Chrome, it gives you a pop-up message that says basically like, you should be using this on Google Chrome. Click here and you can do it right now. Go ahead and switch over to Google Chrome. Do it now on Google Chrome, <laughs> um, which is, you know, fine. Mouthful, first of all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a mouthful. But, but just the concept of they want you on their platform as well, not only using their services, but do it on their platform because they've got stuff built in. They, you know, they can track for their own purposes. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Ben? It's absolutely true, Nemesis. Uh, the, the things that you're looking at are not occurring in a vacuum. Um, what Matt and Noel are describing here has accelerated and will continue to accelerate in the future. Talking a little bit about this off air, uh, the age of privacy in the modern sense is a short-lived historical fad. The internet will not um, retain the illusion, the illusion of anonymity for much longer. The data that you generate by your movements, including your, your psychological movements, are valuable uh, in aggregate form uh, to these private entities that simply are too new to be effectively regulated by old school legislation. Now, why is... Uh, Every place insisting on a sandbox. Why does every large company of this sort want to be the doorway that you have to walk through to access the wider web? Well, it's because right now there are a lot of big players, but there's not a single, there's not a, a, a single uh, ring to rule them all yet. That's what the race is about. It's an arms race for data and it's an arms race for control of the door. And you're going to see it like it's going to be related to things like Sesame Credit. We called it that started as opt in. Now it's very much can't opt out. Um, and what we're seeing is history being made in real time. It's it's just going to continue. There's not a way to stop it. Well, it's the, it's the idea of the internet, you know, initially the open internet, like the pipes of the internet being content agnostic, meaning that like whatever flowing through the internet, you can't throttle it or like mess with it depending on what it is. Like nobody gets a better deal necessarily. So this is like different megalith megalithic providers or services that are essentially becoming the largest, you know, sources of traffic on the internet, trying to become that thing. Right. And, and to be able to like police you and, and control, maybe not control you, but at the very least have access to like everything that you're putting out there, you know, whether it be your data, whether it be, you know, how you do commerce, because a lot of these platforms also offer like e-commerce solutions and like, you know, and and, and I, I don't know this for a fact, but I have a feeling that a lot of these like pay later services, they're probably owned by a company that has interests in all of these particular, you know, platforms and they're pushing one over the other for a very self-serving reason. So, I mean, it's like all of this is to try to like, push back the hands of time on the idea of open internet to me. Uh, maybe I'm like overthinking it or like overstating it, oversimplifying, but that's how it feels. 
that's why I just said the internet's a mess. Like it, with, you know, it's just not what it used to be. I hate to be that like, you know, boomer saying things used to be better or whatever, but it's getting so cluttered. The same with like the streaming wars where we don't know what service a certain show is on. This is bouncing all over the place. And like everyone is just vying for supremacy and in doing so diluting everything. Like everybody is so fed up with all this stuff. Right. I don't know. No, I mean, I agree. I tend to agree with that. There's also... There's a larger existential threat here, Nemesis, and it's one um, one that keeps me up sometimes, which is uh, which is the following. And I think we talked about it a little bit previously on the show. Um, the best comparison is an OS update, right? Planned obsolescence of your uh, favorite <laughs> overpriced gadget, right? Which isn't proven exactly. Right? It, it is proven. Okay, yeah, you th- okay. It's been proven. Just, all right, uh, okay. And and it's under the guise of it, like they learned the lesson from the Phoebus cartel, so now it's under the guise of maximizing performance, right? Uh, that's why we're slowly bricking your late model iPhone. But this is useful as an analogy because I posit to you that the human brain the operating system and the hardware of the human brain wasn't prepared for television, much less social media, much less the internet. Human species is running into a technological limit and may not have the cognitive hardware to interact with this technology in a productive, non-harmful way. But to your point, Noel, uh, turning back the clock there, screwing the lid back on Pandora's jar is a Herculean, if not impossible, effort and and you're you're going to see the erosion of privacy continue nemesis uh what's going to happen unless there is a catastrophic event uh what what's going to happen is that in successive generations after a couple of uh backlash reactions to this kind of invasion successive generations are going to grow up with this id that never leaves you know what i mean the online version of your social security number a unique identifier, and that will follow them like a shadow all the days of their digital lives. I mean, it's only one step removed from the way things already are, Ben. I mean, like my kid and and her cohort, they have no illusions of privacy. Like, I mean, well, okay, they, 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 you know, they, they try to, they try to control it in as much as they can and keep their internet, interneting to a certain close knit thing. It's the reason that things like Instagram stories for close friends is a thing, right? But they also have no illusions that like this stuff is out there and it's not causing them to like shrink away in horror and like not put anything out there because it's so fun. And, and, and it's literally how they do business. It's how they make friends. It's how they do all of this stuff. So, yeah, they don't have any illusions of this. And honestly, for them, they don't know what a social security card is or an ideas or whatever. For them to all of a sudden be told, yeah, this is also on the Internet for forever. They'd be like, cool. Can I keep looking at TikTok? All right, cool. I'm good. I don't care. Like, I think there's a that generation doesn't care. And I would argue in certain ways it doesn't matter because that stuff can be found. It can be hacked. It can be stolen. So why not just have it out there? I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm being nihilistic and maybe flippant. But seeing my kid and the way she lives her life on the Internet, it's different than the way we grew up because we, we came into Internet 1.0 already kind of grown. You know what I mean? Like, I think we probably all had AOL and stuff when we were like in our late teens and then DSL modems didn't come out until we were in our late teens, early 20s, maybe. And we had to kind of adapt. You know, we were sort of like 
standing astride two eras of this stuff. These kids are growing up with it at its like peak, you know, and now mm. it's like it's this whole shuffle, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just very interesting. It fascinates me. It scares me. But it also fascinates me. But I'm also like, I think like in the in the way we were talking about showing gorillas TikTok videos and how that like you know, could like screw up their brains. Gorillas are designed to work in a very old school model. When I say old school, I just mean a primal model of like you know how they interact. Our kids are growing up with a completely different model. That's so true. I, I think if they're smart about it, it's not wrecking their brains. It's changing their brains. But I don't think that means they're all totally f***ed. They're adapting. You know, you have to adapt because this stuff's not going away. Yeah. They're not effed because of that. They're effed because the planet's dying. Oh, I'm just well, kidding. That, that, <laughs> well, 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 there you go again, Matt. Making, ending, ending, the, ending the show with me wanting to jump off a pier. I'm sorry, bro. Oh, Jesus. No, you're right, man. We're, we're focusing on the, we're asking the wrong questions. Should we be showing gorillas TikTok videos? <laughs> yeah. The real genie that's out of the bottle isn't a technological one. It's a existential, you know, like actual facts one, to quote Lauren Vogelbaum. Also, it's important to realize that if you're hearing this, you have agency. Your personal decisions do matter, right? And we're very glad you're here. It is easy, of course, to for us to fall into nihilism. It is uh, dangerously, delightfully easy to practice optimistic nihilism. Nothing matters. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, but <laughs> we cannot remove ourselves from the equation, folks. And this doesn't mean that you're going to end up being the future version of a boomer saying, back in my day, we had to use our hands to touch buttons to talk mm. to the internet. I and think we're like, all oh, kind of destined for that fate, unfortunately. That's, I mean, but it doesn't have to be curmudgeonly nor no, cantankerous. No. The, the future is as exciting as it is terrifying. And there are amazing things on the way. So please, 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 do your best to stick around. Agreed. And do your best to reach out to us um, via the internet. Reach uh, out can, and touch. Yeah, because yeah, that's the way. The rumors are true. You can find us all over this early version of the internet, and there's still more than one door to walk through to reach us. Uh, we're talking Instagram. We're talking TikTok. We're talking Friendster. We're talking Pinterest. We're talking <laughs> Farmers Only. Uh, we're talking Foursquare. Remember Foursquare? Back before people were a little more cognizant of the dangers, they were like, I do want people to know when I'm not at home. Exactly. And I want to know where I'm at. I thought Foursquare was like a restauranty kind of thing. It was sort of like about reviewing places. But if I guess you you're right. It was geotagged. Yeah. That was the whole deal, wasn't it? Yeah. And then you could become like the mayor of a certain place. Anyway, you can find us all over there. Um, we still keep our venerable uh, YouTube channel up. Uh, you can see some of the, I think, objectively really good work we've done there. And if this internet conversation, these conversations about big data have, have put the capital F fear into you uh, and you prefer to go a little more old school, there are two other ways you can always contact us. That's right. You can give us a telephone call and you might hear your voice uh, if you give us permission on one of these weekly listener mail episodes. Our number is one 833 stdwytk Give yourself a clever nickname, whatever you want. Have fun with it. Go crazy. Um, and please do let us know if it's okay to use your voice on the show. If you don't want to do that, you can also 
get in touch with us the old-fashioned way by sending us a good old email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.